everybody, and welcome to a new edition of Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon, and everybody has a car story. In this edition, I go one-on-one -on -one with one of the world's premier car customizers. We're talking Gene Winfield, 88 years of age, still designing, still customizing, still loves cars. I caught up with Gene at a book signing for his new book about his movie cars and TV cars. And trust me, you're going to want to read this. It has great pictures, and you'll want to hear his side of the story about TV's Batmobile that the late, great George Barris eventually customized for the Batman TV show. But that's all coming up later. But first, we start at the beginning, where Winfield's story opens in Central California. California with rather humble beginnings. How humble? My first shop was actually a chicken coop, a chicken house behind my mother's house. I had to put a cement floor in it and then I added on to it twice. So I was there for a, a few years and then they drafted me in the army and I went over to Japan, to Japan for a couple of years and then I come back and open up the chicken house again and then finally moved uptown, so to, so to speak, in Modesto, California. I'm fascinated by the whole chicken coop angle. I mean, did you have any other choice, or was it like chicken coop or something else, or was that all you had? Well, no, that's all I had at the time, and, and you know, I started out, actually, it was a little more like a speed shop. I was building racing flathead engines, and I was porting and relieving them, put cams in them and things like that, and I got acquainted with... Uh, Alex Exidius of SoCal Speed Shop and was buying a lot of parts from him and then also from Winfield, which were actually, we found out, very distant relatives. But I bought Cam's uh, Winfield SU-1A Cam for a flathead. I used them for years and years. I always get fascinated from the, where do, the standpoint of people who are really into the car biz. Where did that come from? How young were you when you finally looked at a car and went, you know, that's kind of something I'd like? Well, I, I bought my first car when I was 15, 15 or 15 and a half, and it was a Model A, a 28 Model A Coupe, and I didn't know what to do with it. I, I did paint it when I was 16 or 17, something like that, but I, uh, I started putting stuff on it. You know, I didn't, didn't know how to make a real hot rod or anything at that time, but I then later started seeing other hot rods, but, but back to the Coupe, I had to put an antenna on there because it was cool to have a foxtail. So I had an antenna with a foxtail. Didn't have a radio, but I had a foxtail. Was that the car you drove around in high school in? Yes, I drove that in high school and then later bought a 30 Model A Roadster. And then I really started getting into it. I put a V8 in it and started customizing it. And, and I did all kinds of stuff. I changed the bumpers probably five times. Something like that. And back then, that isn't something a lot of people did. Were you kind of a pioneer in the industry? Oh, very much a pioneer, yes. And uh, so little by little, I got into that Roadster, and then I, then I built a 27T Roadster, and I started driving it on the street, and I did a lot of street racing, stuff like that. Then little by little, people came to me, and they wanted me to mold off the hood, in, hood ornament and, the, and trunks and things like that. So I started into the custom business, and little by little, the custom business took over, and I did uh, very little engines. Wow, that's kind of wild. I, I, from that point on, so you started your business that way. I mean, is this something you took to college, or did you just pretty much stay and work in the garage and, and improve your business that way? No, I never did go to college. I, I just stayed in, in that business after high school, and uh, little by little I made a, a business, and I'm still doing it. I still build cars. Wow, that's who needs college. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You Did you race at all? Yes, I raced all kinds of racing. Um, I took my 27T 
after I was doing a lot of street racing, I took it to uh, El Mirage. But actually, on my way to El Mirage, I stopped at SoCal Speed Shop, and Don Spencer was working for for uh, Alex at the time. He was a very, very good fabricator and, and craftsman and so forth, and engine builder. So he told me how to set up the car to run El Mirage. He told me what tire pressure, what jets, everything. And, and I said, well, how fast am I going to go? He said, well, with your gear ratio and your tire size and everything, you're going to go 120. Well, you know, all I wanted to do was 105 or maybe 110. And so he says, by the way, you might have hit a bump out there. Don't let it scare you. You know, just keep your foot in it. Well, it scared the hell out of me. And so I hit the bump, and I was in the air, and I thought I was gone. And so I turned 112. Then I got right back in line, didn't change anything, and I turned 121.96. And I was very, very happy with that. Sounds like at that point you were hooked. I was hooked, yes. So after that, I've done all kinds of racing. I've done uh, hard tops, jalopy racing. I've done midgets. Uh, sprint cars. Uh, I've still run Bonneville. I have two cars for Bonneville right now. I have my Model T Coupe with the flathead in it, and I turned 139, and the record was 141 and a half. And then after that, they they bumped the record up to 156. And then I, now I'm driving. I have a I built a, a 32 Roadster, and I put a Robert Yates NASCAR motor in it. And I turned 197 at El Mirage, and I turned 219 at, at Bonneville. In fact, I spun out at 219 about 10 times. What's that like? Well, it's kind of hairy. You know, I just let go of the steering wheel because as the wheel comes around, the little aluminum wheel, it'll break your hand. So I let go of the wheel, and I spun out, and then the wheel stopped. I started to grab it, and it spun the other way two turns. Oh, so... But anyway, I put the NASCAR motor in a Mustang, a 68 Mustang now, uh, with the Hahn brothers. And so out here at El Mirage, we, just two or three weeks ago, we turned 100, 173. Um, and I started to spin on Saturday. Uh, they put a, a front spoiler with a splitter on it, and it was so much downforce on the front, the, the back end was loose. So I, I got sideways. I started to spin and I pulled the chute to save it, and it straightened it out. This happened two or three weeks ago. Yes. And Gene, you're you're how old? I'm 88. Two or three weeks ago, you were doing how fast? Uh, well, uh, on 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 Sunday, then I turned 173. And at El Mirage Mile, uh, no, not El Mirage, um, uh, Mojave Mile, Mojave Mile on the asphalt strip there, I turned 177. And uh, we're going to run the Mega Mile in April, and we're looking for 190. That's a mile and a half on asphalt. Gene, you know that's not normal for most people to go that fast, correct? Especially, may I say, at your mature age. Well, yes, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. But anyway, um, I, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to rebuild the engine. Actually, it's a Robert Yates engine. And uh, we, we found the history of what cars it's been in. It was kind of interesting. It's been in three different cars, and then they rebuilt it, and Ford uh, Ford paid for it and gave it to me to run in the Roadster. So we're going to have Robert Yates rebuild the engine again and put in pistons to get a higher compression ratio, and we're going to still we're going to shoot for 191. When we were growing up, a lot of us guys who were into cars, and to an extent probably some girls as well, we all built model cars. 
And a lot of the model cars we built were these three-in-one numbers where you could build it stock, you could build it right, you know, custom, you could do this. Anybody who has done that and has worked with AMT cars probably does not know that you design most, if not all of those. No, I didn't do all of them, but because they actually had, AMT had, uh, I think, four of us designing the three-in-one kit. But I did uh, at least 12 or 13 of them, and now I'm buying back those kits. I have a picture museum that I live in at my place in Mojave, and I want to invite everybody to come up there. And uh, so I'm buying back those kits, and I'm paying 100 to $150 each for the kits with my name on them. And, and one or two of them has my picture on the side of the box. The ones that haven't been built, I take it, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. I buy the box. I don't care if it's got a kid in it or not. <laughs> I have them on display. What, which one that you can remember is your favorite ones? I mean, because I assume you also have to build it real life size as well before you put it in the kit or not? No, no, that's not true. You see, what we did, AMT had, had the uh, permission and license to go to Ford and GM and all those companies, and so they would get the actual pictures and blueprints of a car a year before announcement time. So we would go to Troy, Michigan, where AMT office was at that time, and we would rebuild on paper with artists. We would, uh, we'd go in there and spend two or three days with two artists, and we would do the custom version of the three-in-one kit. And so... Uh, a lot of times we would not build them as a full-size car. Oh, okay. Gene Winfield joining us here on Talking About Cars. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, so that was something you did. You like to race cars. You, at one time, were a stunt driver. Yes, I did some stunt driving, and I did all kinds of movie cars. In fact, I'm here at Auto Books uh, signing autographs on my new book, which is all about movie cars, television, and commercials. When you see a commercial, there's no credits. You have no idea who did a car commercial. And I did a lot of crazy stuff. I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about some of the stunt stuff you did. Uh, craziest stunt you ever did, what, I assume it's for a movie or TV show or something? Well, yeah, I, I, I forget now just what, uh, what particular ones I did, but I drove in, in commercials mostly, and I drove all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, I jumped off of ramps and landed in a rock pile and, you know, just various things for tire commercials and, uh, and shock, em, shock em over. Like one time I was doing a commercial for Goodyear. Actually, I did Goodyear for 18 months straight. I did many, many Goodyear commercials when they come out with the steel-belted radial tires. So I was at Luna, Laguna Seca. I built a chassis. I took an Impala chassis and shortened it so that I could put a, a Camaro body. I rented a Camaro from Hertz and took a mold off of it and then put a fiberglass body on this chassis of which I had shortened to that Camaro wheelbase. And they had Jackie Stewart come over uh, from Ireland and so Jackie Stewart was going to do the dialogue and drive this car around, around the track. And so uh, he, di he did his dialogue for, well, 17 times before, before they got it good enough to, to use 17 takes. And, I, and I'm standing there with each take with a, we had a crane, we rented a crane. And so we're lifting the body off of this chassis with a crane for 17 times. And then finally he got it uh, good enough to satisfy them the director. So then Jackie Stewart started driving this chassis around the track at Laguna Seca 
and I had put what I call weapons out. So I built uh, 30 feet of this and 30 feet of that. So I had ax blades and uh, drill bits and uh, uh, parking lot bumper, the cement bumpers that you drive against in a parking lot. And I had four by fours and ice and snow and just- Were these on the car or on the ground? No, on the ground, you know. So he had he had a hundred and some feet, you know, to drive, uh, probably closer to 200 feet to drive over these weapons that I created. And so anyway, he stalled the car. He couldn't drive the car and it was an automatic. And so after he did it about four or five or six times, then they pulled him out, sent him home, paid him $15,000 to be there. And he calls himself a professional driver. <laughs> so I drove this car, and all you had to do was, was put a little tiny bit of brakes. You, you drag the brake a little bit as it goes over these bumps, over these parking light bumpers, and with an automatic, and so I drove it. So then... As I, so they told me, they said, well, see how fast you can go with this car. Well, we never even set up the suspension. We never, never even aligned it. So I was going out there, and I'm going about 100 with this, this chassis, and I spun out and went out in the weeds. So we had to come back and wash the car and clean it up and the chassis and all that. Spent about an hour. So I did that twice. <laughs> I spun out twice. So they said, all right, we'll forget that part. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was a crazy deal. That's that's wild. That's that's some wild stuff, and and it always seems like fun because uh, it does seem like fun to you. I mean, that's, that seems to be such a big kick for you. Well, everything's fun. My whole life is fun. I enjoy building cars. Everything that I create or everything that I build, I enjoy it because it's my life. I build custom cars. Let's talk about some of those cars. Uh, you have your book, uh, the TV and movie car book. Uh, things I didn't know, that silly me, but for example, the Get Smart Car. Now tell me about how that came about. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we had a promoter that did promotion for AMT. For AMT, what it was, they hired me to go to Phoenix and, uh, and help manage a facility called AMT Speed and Custom Division. So there we had this promoter that went to the studios and promoted several of these jobs. And, and so he promoted the Get Smart car, and we gave it to them free to the studio. Now that's a Sunbeam Tiger, correct? Yes, yes. And uh, so we didn't use the Tiger with the V8 engine because we put a cannon under the hood. So you push a button, and the, can the trap doors open. The cannon comes up and elevates up and down. Well, why else would you not use a V8 engine? Just be, put a cannon in. Why not? <laughs> now, that was for a, a particular stunt, or was this? Because I'm trying to remember, did they use, as a, on the car itself, uh, did they have a lot of those James Bond-type weapons in it? Well, yes, we had all kinds of fake weapons. You know, we had ram bumper guards. You pull a button or push a button, and the, the bumper guards rammed out. Uh, 12 or 14 inches and I mean they they break your leg I mean they really come out of there and then we had an, a periscope on the antenna and a, a knife on the gear shift and well, no a hand grenade on the gear shift and a knife on the emergency brake just all kinds of gimmicks and then the main thing they did with this car the main episode is that he injected himself out injected the seat out through the top you know, so that was a that was while a, he was driving. Oh, well, now I don't remember if he was driving or the other uh, somebody else driving. But anyway, so I did all kinds of crazy stuff with that. And then for Chevrolet, we cut a car in half and made both halves drivable. 
cut it a little bit off center so it had the drive shaft and it had a full engine on the first step the first uh, commercial they did uh-huh. and uh, did that and then Blade Runner I did 25 cars for the movie Blade Runner now that was so futuristic back in the day where did the concept come from that when you sat down and said oh well I'm going to do it this a certain way where did, where did your ideas come from well they came from Sid Mead Sid Mead is the the uh, the, the best futuristic designer in the world and so Sid Mead designed the cars and took them to the director, and uh, and he okayed them. So all they, all Sid Mead gave them was an eight, uh, 11 by 17 uh, colored rendering of each vehicle. So then the studio had to hire designers. They had seven designers working on that for a, a short period of time, and they designed them into a scale. They put them into scale drawings so that we could build the, the real cars, and then while I was building the real cars, they were building scale models to fly. Wow. Did these come, I mean, I assume you did these from scratch. I mean, it's not like you could go, go buy a bunch of old cars, pull the bodies off, and just use those chassis. No, we took the took these scale drawings and and we started with uh, a pile of wood and a pile of metal. <laughs> we bought a pallet of of uh, particle board and it started grinding and shaping the particle board into shapes to make what we call a plug. And then we took fiberglass molds off of those and then we made fiberglass bodies. So it was all designed by Sid Mead and then recreated on a scale for the studio. And then we built, so we built, you know, five of these and, and three of those and, and seven of those. So there was actually four or five different styles for, uh, I built a total of 25 cars. That's incredible. And the movie, for, for those of you that saw it, I mean, that was, a, that was a great movie. It was a great, I hate to call it a period piece, but for that period, for all we know, that fit in so well. Yes. And uh, so now I just yesterday uh, submitted a bid to build some cars for the new Blade Runner movie, which is all going to be filmed in Europe. So we'll see what happens on that. You also had some input or did some cars for the Back to the one of the Back to the Future movies? Yes, I did the police car that they lifted to fly for Back to the Future. And now we just had the 30-year reunion in October. October 22nd, I believe, was the date of which they went into the future. And so I, I rebuilt and recreated another police car, and I took a Fiero and cut it in half and made it 13 and a half inches longer so the wheelbase would be correct. So now I have a driving police car from Back to the Future. I also did the DeLorean that they lifted to fly and made the wheels fold under. It had no engine. That DeLorean only weighed 700 pounds. Tell me about the man from UNCLE car. Okay, the man from UNCLE. Uh, I got that job, and, and they wanted a, uh, they kind of wanted a nondescript car at first, and but then we we recreated a new Dodge Challenger, and they okayed it, and and I they ordered the car, and I ordered parts and pieces to start redoing this Dodge Challenger. Then the the head of the studio called up, and they said, "Whoops, we got to stop. Uh, that car is a new car, and it's going to have too much publicity." And we want a car that is more nondescript. So, well, well, talk to me about the time frame on this because the Dodge Challenger came out in sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Man from Uncle, you were doing that about what was that? Sixty-six, sixty-seven. Yeah, sixty-six. So anyway, it, it was the first version of the Dodge, and and I, I ordered extra taillights and everything for that car, and so then they said, "Whoops, this won't work." 
So then we, we, well, even before that, we designed a Volkswagen. So no, Volkswagen didn't work because Volkswagen is a major sponsor of the show. So then we ended up, uh, and at that time, AMT had bought the rights to build the Piranha. We were going to build it as a uh, limited production sports car. And we were gonna we were gonna sell that car, and we actually had sold one or two cars. We we're gonna sell it for five thousand bucks, complete driving, running, brand new sports car. Well, and it had a new concept of which the the actual chassis was fiberglass. There's no no steel connecting from the front end to the rear end suspension, all fiberglass. And um, so anyway, we were we were building that vehicle. And, 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 and we were going to sell it for $5,000, but the first one cost us $9,000 to build. So that went away. So we, we, we had this under construction, so we submitted a special drawing taking the Piranha and reworking it and restyling it into the Man From Uncle car. Now, the Piranha was a car. Uh, who were you building that for? Well, we were going to build it as a car to, to, to sell, as a limited production sports car oh, okay. with a Corvair engine. In fact, Chet, Chet Knox was just here today who owned Cyclone Automotive at that time. When, when AMT closed down the Speed and Custom Division, we sold him all the parts for the Piranha. We sold him uh, 20-some Corvair engines and things like that. Wow. Does the Piranha still exist? No, well, there's a few. There's there's actually about six vehicles that still exist. We built four of them into a production uh, type, and then Marbron Chemical was involved because Marbron Chemical uh, produced a plastic called Cyclac. Now, the, your telephones, all the old phones were made out of Cyclac plastic. So the complete body was built in two halves, an upper and lower, which was completely vacuum-formed and molded, and then we bolted it together and put a black molding around the edge to hide the, the bolted surface. So the uh, so there is a few of the piranhas around, but not many. What about the man from Uncle Piranha, per se? Is, is any of those exist? Did Robert Vaughn and David McCollum uh, sign, it, sign the glove compartment or anything? No. In fact, Robert Vaughn didn't like the car. See, we gave the car completely free to the studio, and, and the, uh, the studio started using it. But Robert Vaughn didn't like it because it was hard to get in and out of. But it shows in one of the episodes, he got out of it so slick that it was, it was not a problem at all. But he just didn't like the car. So they didn't use it as much as we expected and, and wanted to. And, of course, AMT was, built the man from uncle into a kit form, and that's why we gave him the car. It's just like Star Trek. I built the complete shuttlecraft for the uh, early episodes of Star Trek. And uh, that, by the way, is at, the, um, uh, at uh, NASA, it's at NASA in Houston, Texas, at their museum on permanent display now, wow. the Star Trek original shuttlecraft. Now, that, that had a weird story, too. I guess uh, it was sold to somebody who kind of put it in his backyard or something, and then you had to redo it? Yes. that uh, w It was sold a couple of times. It was in San Diego for a while. It was up by uh, Santa Barbara. And then a lady ended up with it in Ohio, and she started restoring it. I went back there for a science fiction convention and, uh, and, and was there while they were working on it and so forth. Then she bombed out on it, and then... 
um, put it in storage and didn't want anybody to know where it was. So it was in an aircraft hangar for many years in Ohio. And then it was recently bought, just a, a couple of years ago, was bought by a, a guy in New York or New Jersey, took it there and restored it totally, spent a lot of money on it. It is absolutely perfectly flawless restored. Wow. And then he gave it to NASA and the permanent display in Houston, Texas. How great is that? Now, were you a Star Trek fan, if you will? Did you like the show before you uh, designed that? Yes, I did. I like things that are different. I like things in the future. I like things that are old, old antiques. You know, I like it all. But I have in my little museum where I live in Mojave, I have a Star Trek room. So you must come and see it. It's kind of interesting. I have a, a Captain Kirk... Uh, uh, chair, you know, swivel, the, the whole swivel chair from oh, the deck. Yes. Oh, yes, I have that and a few other things. I'm not going to tell you what else is there, okay. but you must come and see it. Yes. Okay, this is a new book, uh, The All Plastic Car, and it has a lot of the information about the Man from Uncle and the Piranha and, and all of that. And it was by it was forwarded by me and written by Nick Whitlow, who also was the author of my new book, which I'm authorizing and, and, and uh, autographing here today. And the other story I saw, which was what I considered tongue-in-cheek amusing, was uh, the fact that we know the Batmobile. Tell me about your connection to the Futura. Okay. The Lincoln Futura was a car that was built in Italy. Uh, the man that, at Ford Motor Company that handled this happened to be, his, his name was Dave Ash. And Dave Ash was a uh, head of a design department at Ford. And I believe they paid $250,000 to have this car made in Italy in about 1957. So this was a show car, which they showed in, in the new car shows all around throughout the country. And then it became very old. And, and, uh, it was in a movie at one point, too. Yes, yes. It was in a movie with Debbie Reynolds and uh, Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford. Yeah, That's yeah. correct. I forget the name. Anyway. It started with a kiss? It started with a kiss. Okay. okay. So anyway... So this car was, you know, old and, and getting rusty and, and so forth. So uh, we as customizers, me, George Barris, uh, Bill Cushenberry, the Alexander Brothers, we were building some show cars for Ford. So the, uh, the different designers, you know, would come from Ford. And we actually we would go to Ford Motor Company in Detroit and look at renderings, colored renderings, and then we would bid on building those show cars because Ford found out that we could build them so much cheaper, partly because of unions and, and it just takes so long and everything. So it would take them several, two or three years maybe to build a show car and they'd probably spend a million dollars on it. And then we could build one for 25000 35 whatever, you know, way, way, way cheaper. So we would build those show cars. So in doing that, we were acquainted with lots of the people that worked in Ford Design Center. So this Dave Ash, and then later was Don De La Rosa, uh, both dead now. But uh, so they brought this Futura out to George Barris to have him bid on restoring it. So George bid on restoring it, and it was sitting on the lot near where, where Barris's place is now. Now there's a gas station there, but it was a vacant lot. And so this Futura, George put it out there just to attract people, to attract attention. So it was a wild, it was a double bubble uh, Lincoln Futura. So 
the uh, one of them, I think uh, Don De La Rosa, asked me to bid on restoring it. I said, sure, but I won't do it at George's place. You got to bring it to me. So I was halfway kidding, but anyway, he said, okay. So he shipped the car to Modesto, 325 miles north of North Hollywood. So he brought the car to Modesto, and I had it there, so I bid on restoring it. And he says, oh, gosh, he says, your, your bid is better than George. We, we like this a lot. But he says, so now let me see if I can find some money. So he started looking to find somewhere he could find a budget to restore this Lincoln Futura because it was such a wild vehicle. So I had it there for six months. And uh, so I wanted to buy it. And, uh, and he said, well, he says, I can't find any budget to restore it. I says, well, I'd like to buy it. So how can we do that? He says, tell you what. He says, send them a bill for storage. And maybe if they realize they're, they're paying storage on it, they might sell it to you. So I sent them a bill for storage. And two days later, it was gone. Back to George. <laughs> George was not charging him storage. So the car went back to George Barris. So now he set it on the lot again for another six months or whatever. And then the Batman series came along. And he, told, he showed, showed the car, pictures of the car to the studio. He says, let's make a Batmobile out of this car. And they said, okay, wild. So long story short, Ford Motor Company sold it to George for $1. And he built it into the Batmobile. But now the thing that a lot of people don't know is that George didn't actually convert it into a Batmobile. Well, okay. I'll go. So uh, how did that work? Okay, so Bill Cushenberry originally started in Wichita, Kansas, and then he went to Monterey, California. Then he moved to North Hollywood about a mile from George's shop, and it was in competition with George, of course. But he wasn't doing too well, and he needed some work. So George farmed out the job to Bill Cushenberry to build the Batmobile. And so Bill built it, gave it back to George. George painted it and put the emblems on it. And, of course, claimed, and rightfully so, he claimed he built it because he got the job. So that was okay. So. Well, you bring up an interesting point. You guys, there were some great designers in your era. There was yourself. There was George, Ed Roth. Uh, the, uh, some of the gentlemen that you've talked about, uh, Dean Jeffries. Do you guys, ha are, are, is there a rivalry between all you guys for cars and designs and stuff? Yes, back in the day, we were all rivals of each other. And, uh, and you know, when I first met George Barris, uh, met him kind of by accident, and, and he invited me to his place and everything was fine. And then I started building some nice cars and I started beating him in Oakland and Sacramento. Then he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> he wouldn't talk to me for maybe 10 years. And then later on in life, he became very good friends and, and so forth. And I was still building cars all my life. But, uh, but and Bill Cushenberry, I met uh, in Florida. We were doing a show together, and we became friends, you know, way back years ago. And so there was no rivalry there at all. But, uh, and also with uh, Big Daddy Roth, you know, we, we met and, and so forth. But... Um, <clears throat> but some of the some of the builders, you know, they had a, a very, uh, you know, hard rivalry because we were each trying to outdo the other one in the shows, and then trying to each get the jobs from from the customers. So there was definitely was. But then later in life, we all became friends, and 
It was pretty cool. Do you ever watch some of the builder shows now? Because it seems like there's so many of them on television, on cable, and that kind of thing. If you do, what do you like to watch? What is television? <laughs> oh, oh, that's that new thing where they have that tube where you turn. No, I the box. You know, you yeah. look at it and stare at it with your jaw slack. The whole thing. No, the deal. No, the deal is I don't hardly watch television because I'm so busy. I work so many hours. I I'm down to ten hours a day now instead of 14 but but i uh i just recently uh, moved the television into my bedroom so i may start watching it again i watched jay leno for years uh, going to bed at night but i really don't watch tv but i have seen a few of the shows and they are interesting uh, i'm going to have my own tv show and uh, we hope to get that going uh, we've been working on that for two or three years and the reason for the <clears throat> the long period of time is the producer is going to produce three major musical concerts like, like. Um, uh, Dean, you're not going to tell me that you're going to do an automotive musical. No, no, no. They were going to film these three musicals like Bob Hope used to do. That's the name I was searching for. Bob Hope do, did all GI audience, you know. Uh -huh. yeah. So they're going to film these. USO on, shows. Yes. yes. So they're going to film these on the Midway, the aircraft carrier in San Diego. So this is this is a million dollar, multi million dollar business, and which I'm not a part of that part of it. But then, as a spinoff from that, they're going to have me do my own TV show, which is going to be called Gene Winfield Rod and Custom. Okay. And so this has taken several years to get all that money together, and then Walmart has just put up the last of the big money as a major sponsor to do to do those mu musicals. So we hope to get this thing going probably within the next three or four months. We may uh, start filming. Excellent. Now, this isn't going to be one of those shows where you work with people and call them morons and, and throw things at them because they don't do things right. Absolutely not. Thank no God. no cussing whatsoever. Thank God. I'm going to try to build real cars that, <laughs> that look cool, real custom cars. Keep it about the cars. In fact, I've talked to Dennis Gage and I've talked to uh, some of the other guys in the business, and they always question why they have those shows. or, or some. It's more of a sideshow on people yelling at each other as opposed to the cars. It's ridiculous. I don't like it at all. And, and I, I watched some of those shows, uh, you know, a, a few years back, and I'd, I'd watch one episode, like the motorcycle guys in New Jersey, uh -huh. you know. I watched one episode, and I never watched it again. Uh -huh. I, I can't stand it. I don't like all the fighting you know, and all that. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> Tell me, just a couple more minutes, you've been so gracious here today. Um, we always ask uh, the people we talk to, um, you, you've mentioned the cars you had in high school. What what kind of cars are in your garage? Uh, you probably have so many, but I mean, what kind of, what, what are your wheels right now? What kind of cars do you have in your garage? Well, I have a, uh, a car that I call the Pacifica. I, it's a Econoline pickup. I built it for Ford originally in 1963, so I duplicated it a couple years ago, and it's all wild underneath, all chrome-plated, and it's a 92 T-Bird engine transmission and rear end. The engine's under glass and things like that. And so then I bought back the reactor and the Stripstar, the two aluminum cars that I built in the 60s, so I have those at home. But I have a, uh, a 58 Pontiac on the drawing board that I'm really anxious to build. And uh, right now, I started building a car called the Wild Rod, the Winfield Wild Rod. And then I tabled it, 
to finish up some other other vehicles. Now I'm building a 40 Ford convertible now that's really going to be nice, really first class. In fact, we're considering entering it in the Riddler Award in in Detroit. Now, uh, you know those cars, the ones that are winning the Riddler, they're spending six years and maybe two million dollars each to build them well this one won't have that kind of money in it but hopefully it'll be good enough to be in the what they call the great eight they pick eight cars and uh, i hope to be in the great eight at the riddler what are you going to do with the 58 uh, is it a bonneville is it uh star chief what is it we don't care <laughs> no it, it happens to be a star chief but i'm going to build it to look like a futuristic bonneville awesome. the engine is going to be in the rear Really? In the trunk. So, excuse me, it's going to have some wild, wild stuff, and I'm really anxious to get started on that one. I guess I don't have to ask the question then. Are there any cars out there, because you work with so many older ones, and then you take what you have, and then you make whatever you want. Uh, is there any car out there that you still haven't had a chance to work on that you've always wanted to work on, or a car out there that you would like to get for yourself? Number one on the Gene Winfield, I want that car list. Well, no, but the, the Pontiac Bonneville, I, I, I looked for a car that I could afford to buy, you know, because the Bonnevilles are really, really very scarce, and, and the price was way up there. So I finally found this Star Chief after I looked for three or four years, and I really want to build that one. But I have other cars. I have a, a, a Mercury that would be kind of a futuristic 50 Merc that nobody, it has things that nobody has ever done. And so I have several cars on the drawing board. I have a 46, uh, 46, seven, and eight Ford that I want to build with two engines, one in the front and one in the back, and just all kinds of wild stuff I got on the drawing board. And I have artwork on these vehicles that I, that I have done for maybe six or eight years. Uh, Steve Stanford has done some of them. Uh, Chip Foos, I've known Chip since he's two. His father, Sam, worked for me in three different shops. And so we're great friends. You know, you've done so much. Uh, when we look back, I want to know what you want us to all remember you as and remember you by. Oh, my goodness. Just a, a, a builder and a painter. I love to paint. You know, I started the blending of paint, and I still do that. They fly me all over the world. I painted in England. I painted five cars in Canada. I painted in Australia. So just remember me as a, as a good builder and painter. What keeps you so young, sir? Uh, never smoked, uh -huh. never drank, never had a cup of coffee, eat good food, and just live right. Car customizer, Gene Winfield. Hey, everybody, tell your friends. We're back with new podcasts, and you could listen either on iTunes or at our website, talkingaboutcars.net. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and write a review, even subscribe. Until next week, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me next time as we have some fun talking about cars. Cars.